0: Okay, you know, sometimes sermons are really kind of easy to write. And sometimes sermons are pretty difficult to write. And sometimes you don't really figure out what everything is about until you're hearing the scripture read on Sunday. (laughs) So buckle up. If it sounds like I don't know what I'm talking about, I really don't. The sheep and the goats. This is the final of the parables we've been reading in Matthew. And they're not easy to hear. They don't really fit well with nice middle-class, liberal Christian conversations. We don't really like to talk about condemnation, gnashing teeth, and things like that. They are about the beloved community, and they are about judgment, and they're difficult to hear. These texts, oh, but one thing is, and this is what I realized, is that if if we're not convicted every time we hear a parable, then we need to know that we're the one that they're talking about. <laughs> That's it. Don't ever think, oh, yeah, well, I'm that, because then, well... So these texts come after Jesus has entered Jerusalem, and he had a meltdown at the temple. He lost his temper. He had a colossal tantrum when he saw people using the rituals of sacrificial worship to make money. The author of Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience at a particular time in a particular place. Jesus consistently argued with the Pharisees because he saw their growing strength and he saw them drifting from the great teachings of Isaiah and Amos and Jeremiah. He saw them as his brothers and he wanted to pull them back in. He saw them entrenched in Roman society. He saw their ritualistic acts in the temple become more and more about making money for themselves and preserving a status quo that didn't threaten the Roman Empire rather than leading the way of living into paths of righteousness. He saw all their religiosity as all hat and no cattle. In Matthew, Jesus shows us what the beloved community or the kingdom of heaven looks like. All of Jesus' teachings and the way he lived were harbingers of this divine reign. Remember, after calling his disciples, Jesus' first sermon included the Beatitudes. From the very beginning of all of their ministry, Jesus said that the divine community of God exists at the fringes with the meek, the poor in spirit, those who mourn. Jesus announced the arrival of this new realm when he cured the sick, when he welcomed the despised, and he fed the hungry. So let's take a moment to talk about sheep and goats. A lot of folks turn this text inside and out, talking about the difference between sheep and goats. Sheep are good, goats are bad. And I recall when I was little going to a friend's church, I, had, I mean, I was in small town Texas, so I had these friends with very exciting churches. And, and they, it's one where they preached really scary and dramatic sermons. And in the Sunday school, there were these terrifying cartoons of goats. I didn't know, I didn't really learn anything about the scripture other than I'd hoped I'd never see one of these goats in real life. But let's know that at the time that this scripture was written, people had both sheep and goats, and both were considered good. They both provided milk and meat. Their skins were used to carry liquids. They were both prized, and people who had them had had, 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 had had, uh, wealth. Um, uh, But sheep follow a shepherd, and a goat herd leads from behind. So some folks hold this up as why the sheep are good guys. Some point out the ancient tradition of the scapegoat, where the Israelites would you know, cast once a year all of their sins onto a particular goat and then take it out to a place and push it off a cliff so that the sins wouldn't come back to the, the gathered community. Um, but, but that wasn't a bad goat. They were really very thankful for this terribly unlucky goat, now we can go down a rabbit hole trying to figure out the meaning in the sheep it, of, of meaning of the use of sheep and goats, But I lead on the side that they were really a literary device, a way to separate with common animals. Because the core of this selected text doesn't sit with sheep or goats. it sits with a question. Lord. When was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or in a prison and we didn't take care of you? When, when was that? The sheep and the goats ask the very same question. But I imagine the sheep may have said, What are you talking about? Wow. When? I never saw you. I never saw you. And I'm, if I'd known it was you, I'm sure I would have said hello. I would have done something nice for you. While the goats may have said, wow, wait a second, when, when? I never saw you, never saw you anywhere. Never, I mean, if I'd known it was you, surely I would have done something. Come on, you weren't there. It's like Jesus is the first undercover boss. One more time. Jesus tries to tell those around him that the beloved community, the reign of God, is not something that'll happen in some unknown future or about something that would happen after we die, which no one really knows what happens. It's right now, right here, right before us. We are created in God's image. It is here. And it's up to us to live into that beloved community. Those who are blessed are those who know how to form, how a world formed by mercy, a world in which the cries of the oppressed are heard, when the, the, they know that the beloved kingdom will happen, when the needy are seen and heard, when there is a world where there is no one left alone, no one hungry, naked, or sick. When there is a world, when where all we need all, a world where we all, where we all are in the need of mercy, because we all at some time will mourn, we all at some time will thirst for righteousness, we all at some time will be confronted with the pains, illnesses, and the brokenness of life, and then and there we will have a choice of facing it with merciful hope or of turning away. The scripture points us back to the Sermon on the Mount where we first heard the theme of discipleship that was woven throughout the Gospel of Matthew. As Lutheran pastor Dirk Lang wrote, at the heart of the Sermon on the Mount is a call to an obedience that is not prescription or law or sacrifice, but joyful living without calculation. This joyful living takes believers to an unexpected place. It's not a place of royalty, it's a, the cross. And it takes them to the cross found in the lives of humans, to the cross in the life of family, of community society, nation, and the world. It takes them to the place of God's suffering in the world. And this then leads them to the place of resurrection. Hope found even in the midst of horrible suffering. The hope of a new life and transformation right here, right now. The sheep and the goats are not judged by what traditions they uphold or by doing things that are considered right, by doing things that will get them a reward. Remember, they both ask the same question When did we ever see you? They are judged by the mercy with which they live, the mercy that infused every action of their lives even without knowing it. Now, one of the problems with good Christian churches is that we often slip right in and assume alignment with the sheep. After all, we spend a fair amount of time identifying the least of these so we can engage of acts of charity that allow us to check off give to the least of these on our to-do list, and thereby we quickly and paradoxically align ourselves with goats. Does that mean that we stop doing what some call Band-Aid mission work? Our little pantry dropping a few coins in a beggar's cup? Certainly not, but that's not the point. Jesus' teachings in Matthew do not constitute some sort of celestial checklist for us. Jesus is inviting us into a new world, an alternative way of existing. Now in the Gospel of Matthew, we learn that the disciple Matthew was a tax collector. This was someone who had completely sold out to the empire. Now I can imagine who I would put in that category today. Our society is divided in ways, some say unseen since the height of the Vietnam conflict, and others ominously state since the Civil War. And really, it is easy for me to identify some as goats, which, you know, makes me rather goaty. The evangelical right, the Christian nationalists, and you know the type. I surround myself with like-minded folks and avoid those who espouse ideologies that I find hateful, alienating. And yet, there was Jesus, this person that I say I try to follow, calling Matthew a tax collector, a sellout, one who aligned himself with the hateful, oppressive empire to be one of his closest disciples. I suppose that Jesus knew that Matthew was a man living without a worldview of mercy—a world where there was enough for all. You know, I—I I just thought of this this morning when in that yesterday I was with a at a friend's giving. And a friend of mine, who is, I think, deeply spiritual but not at all religious, we were ha- a bunch of us were having this conversation about the rise of COVID deniers. I mean, vaccine fa- vaccine deniers, and even you know people who refuse to vaccine vaccinate their animals now. And we were all getting riled up, righteously, and and. <laughs> And he just very, you know, as I was, I mean, I was right there. I had all the right things to say. And he very calmly said, have you thought about listening to them? Well, you know, kind of just stopped. <laughs> like, well, blah, 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 And he said, no, because I, you know, he goes, I, I I, think that our our job is not to try to beat people over the head, but maybe to find out where they're coming from. And he talked about meeting people that he thought were ridiculous in the way they they were living, but they were talking about the, you know, just the overuse of antibiotics in our, you know, um, industrial um, meat um, um, complex of our food in the nation. All of these sorts of things, and and all of a sudden I realized that he was sharing mercy with these people. And there we were, I don't know that this group necessarily would have identified themselves as sheep, but I think that we all probably thought we were the good guys. And we realized that we weren't listening to people, and I felt convicted. Jesus is talking about a Christian life of discipleship. Jesus is talking about a community on the journey of Christian discipleship marked by the virtues of Christ, a community that uses its strength to bear the burdens of the meek, the sick, the lonely, that use their strength to put their egos aside, to listen to people who feel estranged. Today is the last Sunday in the church calendar Next Sunday, we begin the season of Advent, a time of holy anticipation where we reflect on the meaning of incarnation, the embodiment of divine love, a time when we reflect on what it means to be a church, a gathering of disparate individuals who come together to call ourselves a body of Christ what is our role in this world where we recognize first and foremost our allegiance to god not to state or party stanley Howerwas, professor of mine you may not like him i mean i i he i I have a lot of arguments with him, so you may too, I don't know. And Will Williman, in their book, Resident Aliens, state that the fundamental issue when it comes to Christian ethics is not whether we shall be conservative or liberal, left or right, but whether we shall be faithful to the church's peculiar vision of what it means to love and act as disciples of... and, and that Christian community, or as they say, life on the colony is not primarily about togetherness. It is about living the way of Jesus Christ with those whom he calls to himself, even the likes of Matthew, the tax collector. Each week, we come to the table to be reminded of God's grace, to be reminded that we are among the needy, One of the most common of our hubristic sins is the belief that we leave worship filled with the Spirit so that we may go out and share it with others in our service, in our words, in our love. But really, we leave the table reminded that we are loved as we move out closer to God. Because Jesus told us over and over that God is found among the fringes. It is we say God's love for us has no end and that it is constant and true and that it is the foundation of the kingdom of God, the beloved community. Our Christian claim is not that life is better as a Christian. our claim is is that living a life of discipleship is a true life. Even as we try to be disciples of Christ, disciplined, honest, committed to doing the next right thing, we all wander around with logs in our eyes, offering tweezers to others so they may get the splinters out of their own to be honest i sympathize with the goats i want to do the right thing i think most of us really do but how many times have i thought well now may not be the right time to bring that up or i don't want to alienate anyone or i don't what if i make a mistake and other times i think yeah i'll do that maybe that's what i'm supposed to do We learned that the sheep and the goats had the same opportunities to live the lives Jesus asked his followers to live. They weren't given any great test. There was not some grand mission to overthrow the government, to achieve wealth, to set up a new temple. Discipleship meant tending to what was right in front of them, living peacefully with mercy for all, while seeking justice. And by doing this, the sheep were not waiting for some glorious rain to come. They weren't doing it because they thought they were supposed to do it. They were just living it. Not doing this, the goats were trapped in a tall, fenced enclosure, scrambling for just themselves. I pray that we may be as bold as she.